Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and here's my coda to last week's episode called No Place Like Home. I struggle mightily how to render this coda because right now I'm wrapped up in a book by two uh, French philosophers called Deleuze and Guattari called Anti-Oedipus, Capitalism and Schizophrenia, which is rocking all of my worlds right now. And I just want to incorporate it into everything, my life, my theory and this coda. But I will resist the urge and simply talk. Okay. This week was a particularly enjoyable week. I had great work, hung out with some great people, had some good food, exercise, uh, just had a, have a new, wonderful, exciting opportunity I can't talk about until it flowers a bit and need to let it take root. Um, but it occurred to me that having a comfortable apartment in New York City is key to my happiness. Let me explain. Like most folks, my apartment is a work in progress. I want a new bookcase, possibly a smaller bed, and lots of furry, fuzzy things for my body, bed, and couch during the winter. Oh, and I need a new couch. Or I want a new couch. I don't need one. All of that is obtainable with work and money. Go capitalism. This one-bedroom apartment is in a three-floor building. It has large windows, hardwood floors, large bathroom. It's pretty large for NYC. Um, I live on a tree line block. Transportation is easy and accessible. There's every major subway line, uh, buses, the Metro North if I want to get out of town. And I'm surrounded by city parks, including Central Park North. This is an easy neighborhood to walk, and most of my amenities are met here in Harlem. I'm extraordinarily grateful about where I live. My current work situation is that typically I work from home or a nearby cafe or library. All the things that I own in the universe are in this apartment. And if this makes any sense to anybody else, it makes sense to me. I'm, in, I'm a minimalist, but I'm also an archivist. So these two tensions, um, there's tension between these two po- points um, because I want things, but also I want space. And so, again, my space, like probably like your space, is a work in progress, a thing that is changing us as we change it. What linked all of my good fortune last week was having the having this base that was warm, comfy, and it's an enclosure that I escaped to long ago. I've been here in this apartment since 2011. Here I rest, here I rejuvenate. Here's where I can decompress and read and write and create and engage in my archival theories and practices and visual uh, vocab, building my visual vocabulary for my art practice. Just I can I can be this thing that's always evolving and always sort of like looking at the next thing, you know, um, here's where I can turn down the volume on the world and escape. Um, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, as I've said a million times on the podcast, and I left there in 96 to move to Atlanta to go to school, Clark Atlanta University, to get my master's in library and information studies. My intention was to, at the time, I wanted to manage an institution like the Schomburg Center. So it would be a research center that had exhibition space, performing space, that sort of thing. Um, at the time when I was in Atlanta, I also took a brief, uh, I left DC, excuse me, I left Atlanta to go to DC in the summer of 96 to work at the Library of Congress. It was a, a fellowship, a junior fellowship where you, where I worked on, um, in the session of the NAACP papers. 
Um, went back to Atlanta, finished my degree and moved to New York City to be with my best friend and my kid who are already here, but also to work at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. And I really, really love that place to death. And when I left in 2017, it was the intention to try to figure out how to, to learn how to make a film and to be an artist, to be a full-fledged artist. And mind you, throughout the entire time I was at the Schomburg Center, I moved. So I, I've lived in three different apartments Interesting enough, on the same street, um, same landlord. And this is my favorite apartment. I love it. I love that I'm on the top floor. I love it that the windows are large, as I mentioned earlier. I love it because it's a very comfortable space for me. If my career took root in Toledo and I was learning things there, and Atlanta was a training ground um, where I made some really good friends, then New York City was a place where everything sort of blossomed in ways that I can't imagine either of those two former spaces in Toledo, Ohio, I can't imagine it happening there because of what New York offers. Um, New York is my jumping off point to the world, you know, and I feel very grateful for that. Having a base encourages me, be, encourages me to be brave and to risk security and to be Something larger than the thing that I even wanted like maybe five or six years ago. That's it. That's all I have to say. Well, I'll say this one last thing. Find your home. It can make all the difference in the world. This is Seth Rodney. I'm speaking from Philadelphia. Today is Monday, October 31st. And this is my note for the American Age podcast. I was thinking about the notion of what constitutes home for me further after, our, after the conversation that I had with Stephen and Travis. And I was thinking about talking about how my memories of Jamaica create a kind of sense of home. Although, to be honest, I can't imagine going back to the island to live. Uh, even after I retire. I was thinking about the places where I've been happiest, or the place I want to go when I'm feeling really unwell. The place I've probably been happiest is Jamaica, but that has everything to do with me being a child and not having a brutal and overbearing parent at home at the time. And then I think whenever I'm feeling bad physically and I just want to go home, home happens to be wherever it is that I'm living at the time. It's, it's wherever I have most of my stuff and I feel like I'm safe. And I can lock the doors, I can close the curtains, it can be private. Uh, and then I thought today, what about the place where I want to be buried? I mean, when I'm dead and gone, do I want a marker somewhere? And I might think of calling that place home. And then I thought, I don't really want to be buried. I don't think so. I think I'd be happy with just having my well, being cremated and having my ashes spread in the wind 
I don't know that I need to be any place when I'm gone. I don't know that I need people to make a pilgrimage to come and see where my last remains are. And I'm not assuming that I'll be so important that people would want to do that. But if I were, I just don't... That's not something that I'm really in favor of. So I suppose that means I don't have a keen sense of a particular geographic location as my home. And I think back to that conversation I had with Travis and Stephen back in August, where Travis essentially accused me of not being much of a fan of the U.S. and accused may sound like a harsh term, but I think he's right. I'm not. I've not really been a fan of any place that I've lived. I suppose that means that, well, it doesn't mean that I'm still looking for a home. I don't know that I am. I don't think so. I think what I've done is make peace with the state of being I find myself in. That is, I can sort of make my home anywhere. And when I'm done, I'm fine with being anywhere in the ether. A memory, a phantasm, a thought that had come and gone. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is C. Travis Webb, editor of The American Age, and this is my note on last week's uh, podcast. Uh, there's no place like home. Uh, we, uh, Seth had rejoined the podcast uh, last week, which was nice to have him back in the mix um, and uh, proposed the topic actually that we discussed, which yeah, obviously you heard that episode. Um, and, you know, I had a lot to say and could have gone on longer about how I feel about certain places um, and how I don't feel about certain other places, uh, meaning like kind of where my attachments lie. Um, you know, lots of praise for cities, um, and kind of the, the compression of humanity and sort of the coal to diamonds idea that happens in large, uh, urban centers. Um, of course not in all large urban centers. Um, there are plenty of problems and injuries and pain and grime that goes along with the compression of human beings into small areas. I know that. Um, I don't. Um, I don't idealize those spaces. Um, but it really does. It is an inextricable part of who I am um, that I really do just like human beings. I think we're pretty cool animals. Um, in some ways, more and almost. In the clearest terms, this puts me outside of general intellectual consensus. There's a lot of misanthropy in the intellectual community. Um, there's a lot of judgment about 
populism. There's a lot of judgment about everyday people. You know, I, I could go through a litany of insults and dismissals and snarky comments that are made um, about, you know, the masses. Uh, I don't need to do that. You've all heard them. Maybe you believe them. I do not. Unequivocally, slam dunk 1000% do not. Um, however, that doesn't mean that large groups of empowered people can't do absolutely horrible things. My issue is that this is true regardless of political stripe. This is true regardless of religious affiliation. This is true regardless of gender. This is true regardless of race. This is true regardless of all of the big, broad categories we use to generalize individual human beings. It's true across the board. We're all capable of it. Um, and, you know, to bring it into something, you know, a little bit more timely, um, the, the damage that was done to the social fabric uh, during uh, the social policies that resulted from the pandemic, I don't think intellectuals and those of you, and, and I was certainly on the other side of this, uh, which I'll just own. I was on the other side of this. Um, uh, those of you that were, you know, gung ho for a long time on COVID policy, perhaps even still rationalize the decisions that were made. Um, you did harm. Uh, these people did harm. Uh, it, these people were in the wrong historically. Uh, they were in the wrong in the present. They were in the wrong from every point of view. Uh, I've been wrong in my life. Many times, many, many times. I will be wrong many times again. Uh, I was not wrong on this. Um, I don't take a great deal of pride in that. Of course, some. I'm not, you know, I'm not a Buddhist monk. Um, I'm not egoless, but I don't, the, the amount of pride I take in it is minuscule compared to the sadness and, that I feel and the damage that I recognize in what was done. The very best thing that you can do, the very best thing that the people who advocated for uh, denying medical care to people who were unvaccinated, the people who vigorously shamed those who did not want to mask, the people who vigorously shamed those who rejected lockdowns, the people who advocated and celebrated the unvaccinated being excluded from society, the very best thing that you can do is apologize. It's not to ask for amnesty. It's not to say, okay, time to move on. The very best thing you can do, because you fucked up, is apologize. When I fuck up, and I fuck up all the time, I really do. I'm not saying that is a convenience for this argument. The very best thing you can do is just apologize. Just own it. Uh, and, and that's when you can move forward. And this is the thing that human beings can be great at, which is that we can atone for the things that we have done in the past because we have a sense of history. Right? We, are, we are the primate that is aware of our history and is aware of our future. And we can consciously choose to amend the past and improve the future. We can do that. And that is why uh, I love people. And that is why I'm sorry I was wrong. For me, just about erases anything. Not anything. There are plenty of things that, you know, I, you know it's a, there's a list of things that I would not easily forgive. But this is one of them. Fear Reacting out of fear, uh, reacting because everyone in your social group believes something. I, I get it. I completely get it. Um, 
human beings have that capacity. We have that capacity to conceive of our past and future and present in a larger, more hopeful narrative. And I hope that we'll take the opportunity opportunity to do that. Um, that's it. That's my note for this week. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying uh, your Halloween, and uh, we'll catch up with you next time.